You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everyone, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and with me today from FanRag Sports is Greg Jewett. And boy, we have a lot to talk about. Lots of uh, weekend action, lots of uh, injury news to update you on. Greg, are you ready? And, uh, oh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Al. Locked and loaded. Let's do it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's right away. And, uh, yeah, some uh, late-breaking Lineup and injury news to get to uh, first. Uh, Adrian Beltre, as uh, was sort of hinted with the news over the weekend, not going to be activated from the disabled list for uh, today's game. So Adrian Beltre, not in the lineup, still on the DL. Uh, Keon Broxton back in the lineup after uh, getting hit in the face and uh, uh, sustaining that, that nasal fracture. So obviously that could have been much, much worse. And good to see Keon Braxton back in the Brewers lineup. Ryan Braun also back in the Brewers lineup after missing uh, Saturday with a back issue. Steve Piscotti's had a really rough week, uh, banged up. Uh, This time it's a a knee injury uh, that's holding him out of the Cardinals lineup. And Roberto Ozuna is on track to come off of the DL on Tuesday. So no more worrying about whether or not it's Joe Biagini or Jason Grilly or whoever. Uh, It's going to be Roberto Ozuna uh, on I would assume as soon as Tuesday. Uh, big uh, news uh, from yesterday, though. Gary Sanchez to the disabled list with the right bicep strain. Greg, I've not seen a timetable on this. Uh, have you seen anything uh, in the last few hours? Nope. Uh, even the beat writers are saying that they're really not sure of any sort of timetable with this, and, and the injuries dual fold with him being a catcher and having a huge, you know. Uh, needing that arm to do both jobs, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm not sure how long it's going to be, but it's something that uh, Sanchez owners need to be planning for. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm one of them. Uh, so, uh, do you have any uh, early thoughts? And I guess not too early because we got to set our lineups uh, today, or at least by tomorrow morning. Uh, any thoughts on a Sanchez replacement? Um, if you're riding the hot hand right now, I think you have to look at Jason Castro, who. Um, not only is he hitting 400 to start the year, but he has six walks versus one strikeout. So when you're looking for somebody that's kind of locked in, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be migration of the statistics back to the mean. But for right now, um, Castro seems like a per- perfect person to slot in there. And he moved up to fifth today in the batting order for the Twins. Um, if he's not there, another guy that could give you a little pop uh, with lo- very low ownership is Jan Gomes. So. Those are two decent pivots. I don't think either one's perfect, but um, I would prefer Castro just due to the start. Um, Gomes, if I the deeper the league, uh, the deeper you got to go in the waiver wire. But um, he was available in ninety-five uh, percent of Yahoo and ESPN leagues as of yesterday. Yeah, that's a good call. Like you say with Sanchez, you're really going to miss the power. It's going to be very hard to find somebody 
who's going to give you that power and the batting average. You know, you get Jan Gomes uh, in a one-catcher league. I think you could probably get Mike Zanino and, and replace mm-hmm. something close to that power. But uh, you're not, you're not going to get anything close to Sanchez's batting average. So that's, it's a big loss. Uh, do you see any role for Austin Romine in any sort of fantasy? Obviously, we're not talking about one-catcher league, but uh, how, how deep do you have to go to be interested in Romine? Uh, we, we say this all the time. He, he, he gets thrown into the uh, league-only scrap or probably 15-team or deeper leagues, but um, I still think you can maybe do a little better than him. He, he's hit well in spots, but nothing, nothing stands out in his uh, skill set. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Uh, but, uh, you know, in a deep league, if you you need to replace them, you know, that, that might be your best option. But it'd have to be a pretty, pretty deep league. Uh, also from the Yankees, some injury news. Uh, James Caprillion uh, looks like he's probably going to need Tommy John surgery. And uh, Caprillion, of course, in the was in the minors. But uh, there had been rumors in the offseason that he could have been a midseason call for the Yankees. So that, of course, now looking extremely unlikely. Um, so that's, you know, for, particularly for dynasty league owners or deeper leagues where maybe you're doing draft and stash with, with mid-season call-ups, that's, uh, that's a blow right there. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. is going to get an MRI on his right knee. Um, Trey Turner left Saturday's game early, uh, rounded third and uh, didn't continue on to home and was was pulled out of the game. Turns out he had a, a pulled hamstring. And according to Dusty Baker, it's not looking like a serious injury, and Turner may only miss a couple of days. So um, it's something I think that you should watch today and and maybe early tomorrow before you 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 make a decision about Turner. But I'd say as of right now, it looks like it'll be safe to start uh, Trey Turner. Greg, uh, you you feel similarly about that or? you more worried about him maybe missing a few games and not being uh, quite up yeah. to par production-wise? Well, he's off to a little bit of a slow start. Um, but but with a speed guy, when you're talking about leg injury, it just gives me pause for concern. So definitely want to see uh, or, or at least read the reports. I mean, I know Dusty's saying two to three days, but this could spill over in the four and five. So if you have a, a weekly league lock, it's going to be a really tough decision tomorrow. It would depend on who you're replacing him with. If you can tread water for the week with him only maybe playing three to four games. Um, more news I'm sure will follow, but uh, definitely in a non-daily setup, I think it's going to be risky to play him for the week, kind of like when we were talking about Rendon last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh... – you know, like I said, I think chances are it'll be okay, but it definitely is a situation that you need to, to monitor. Um, by the way, Mookie Betts back in the Red Sox lineup. He missed some time with the flu. He's uh, out there in, in right field. Um, but as I mentioned before, uh, I think I mentioned uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. out. Steve Selsky in a lineup for the Red Sox, batting sixth and playing center field. Uh, Colin McHugh is going to be shut down for six weeks with a posterior impingement of his right elbow. So if you were sweating it a little bit with uh, Joe Musgrove or or with Mike Fires, uh, it would appear that their spots in the rotation will be safe for quite a while. And I have bad news if you're a Colin McHugh owner, hoping to have him back soon. Uh, Melvin Upton has agreed to a minor league deal with the Giants, and it does not appear that he's going to be up with the team right away. But, uh, Greg, what's your level of interest in Melvin Upton, and do you think he could impact the uh, Giants' outfield situation in a significant way? Uh, 
significance depends. I, I think he's going to be up there sooner rather than later. When you look at uh, Parker and Morrell right now are combined over 22 in their plate appearances this year. So the Giants are off to a slow start. They need a spark on offense. Um, and I can see Upton uh, up, getting up there sooner rather than later. So I, I think it's going to be more of a stolen bases impact. His power is going to be hurt a little bit in that ballpark, just like we speculated with uh, Eduardo Nunez. But mm -hmm. if he's as aggressive on the bases that Nunez has been, then there's definitely some value for uh, fantasy owners. So if you're looking for a little uh, boost in speed and you can tolerate the 240 or lower average, then Upton eventually uh, is going to is going to be uh, a fantasy player that we're going to want to look at as far as deeper league going. But um, I definitely no way last year is going to happen, but deals, deals I can see uh, being a concern for some people. So he's going to be a flyer. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean, look, he's he's you know bounced around a bit now. Just couldn't stick with the Blue Jays, uh, but you know he had a very nice first half last year with the Padres, mm -hmm. uh, Melvin Upton. So I, I just you know I this is a situation I do want to monitor because I think that there is some power and speed promise there like you said at AT&T Park it's, it's you know it's not gonna certainly not gonna help but uh, I still think that he could be a factor if he can get some playing time and I think there is the opportunity there for him mm -hmm. uh, just oh, perusing the, uh, oh I'm sorry yeah. being, being familiar with that division last year should help him transition a lot quicker too yeah that's that's a very good point and uh, yeah, just perusing some of the lineups, uh, most of the lineups are out already, uh, everything through the 2 o'clock games. But uh, the Rangers today, this is uh, sort of interesting to me, they're going to be facing Sean Manaya, the lefty, and we've got Joey Gallo in the lineup there facing lefty. So uh, at playing third base, uh, of course, filling in still for uh, Adrian Beltre. But uh, so no replacement for, for Gallo there. And the Astros... Uh, they're going to be facing Nathan Carnes and uh, Marwin Gonzalez getting the start at first base. So, um, Greg, I know I had some misgivings about investing in uh, Ulysses Gurriel. Uh, you know, didn't draft him in any leagues. Really had some doubts about him being able to hang on to this job. And Marwin Gonzalez is off to a nice start. Do you think that uh, Gonzalez could work his way into some fairly steady playing time? Or how do you see that that first base situation still looks very influx to me how do you think this is going to play out yeah i i i am with you i have zero shares of guriel um marlin's usually a, a great like uh target when the left hander's on the mound because he has good power from the right side of the of the plate so mm -hmm. forcing his way into a matchup from the left-handed side uh, tells you that the astros are taking note that guriel a is not hitting the ball well and b marlin's a little hot um at some point, A.J. Reed could force himself into this conversation, a, a perfect post-type guy, if Guriel continues to struggle. So uh, Guriel's definitely on watch, so if you own him, it's definitely time to uh, start having somebody on the bench just in case the, uh, Gar Gonzalez keeps eating into his playing time and uh, the other factors coming down the road. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and yeah, Gonzalez could just be holding the space for, for A.J. Reed. He's just been so valuable to the Astros over the last couple of years as that mm -hmm. uh, versatile utility player. Uh, but uh, A.J. Hinch just really seems to like him a lot. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I think at least in the short term, he could he could get some playing time. Uh, also in the Astros lineup, we've got Evan Gaddis uh, DHing, So no Carlos Beltran today. Uh, 
Gaddis uh, has caught start or started twice at catcher, and so now he's getting the the bid at DH. So uh, obviously Gaddis is somebody who's playing time. Uh, we're looking to monitor early on because it's really hard to see where those bats are going to come from. So uh, so far in the early going, it seems like he's playing about every other day, which is probably not great news if you were you were probably hoping for a little better than that from uh, from Evan Gaddis. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Greg, I'm I'm very tempted to turn this into the uh, Kendall Graveman show because that was you know a second <laughs> spectacular performance from him. Uh, so, you know, I, I did a little bit of digging on Graveman and, uh, found some interesting stats. I mean, we're going to be going to, into break, uh, in just over a minute here. So, uh, you know, I'm sure this is going to, going to carry over, but, uh, you know, before I, I, in fact, I should probably save this deluge of stats for the, the next segment. So, uh, what's, yes. what's your, alert. what's, yeah, what's your, <laughs> what's your kind of first level take on uh, Graveman so far with these two, two excellent starts. Um, we're going to cover it in a second, but I'm amazed he's doing all this basically with one pitch. That, you know, that's to me is one of the mind blowing things about, I mean, he was already dependent on the sinker and he is throwing it now 91% of the time over these two starts. That's unreal. And yes, I agree. Uh, do you, do you think that's a sustainable thing for him to have this level of success using essentially one pitch? Uh, so far, so good. But uh, after the break, we'll kind of get into that. So, you know, I, I was on him a couple years ago after that trade from Toronto. So this is really intriguing to me um, that it's starting to come to fruition. So uh, let's I think we should have the break and then we'll uh, we'll try and break down Mr. Graveman. All right. That sounds like an excellent plan. And we do have just a few seconds for a weather update. And this will be very brief because every single venue today has sunshine at least the ones that are uh, outdoor venues. So uh, no worries there in terms of your your daily lineups or uh, anything of that nature. So uh, on that note then, uh, you know what's coming up after the break. Uh, Lots and lots of Kendall Graveman talk and uh, a lot of other pitchers of note to talk about as well. So stick around. Join. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am Al Melkier, your host for the hour, and my guest for the hour, also from FanRag, is Greg Jewett. And uh, Greg's been busy getting you ready for uh, week two already, uh, taking a look at bullpens. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But uh, first of all, a little word about Roto Experts. The RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package is your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto scientist. They help you set the ideal lineups every week and this season get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor powered by InsideInjuries.com. Get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring to the top of your standings. Enter promo code FREERADIO, that is all one word, FREERADIO, at the checkout for a special discount. So, uh, Greg, after I teased uh, Kendall Graveman uh, and all of his uh, quirky, wonderful stats before the break, uh, I'm going to just... keep people on the edges of their seats a little bit longer here because there were a couple of starts from Friday. I want to talk about, you know, we don't do a show on Saturday. So I want to make sure to hit these uh, two major league debuts, Kyle Freeland and Amir Garrett. 
and they were both sensational. Uh, Freeland, six uh, innings, one run allowed, six strikeouts, two walks, just four uh, four hits, and 12 ground balls. Uh, Garrett, six shutout innings, four Ks, uh, two hits, two walks. Uh, that was against the Cardinals. Freeland was against the uh, the Dodgers. So both, you know, not not easy matchups, and uh, both really really nice performances. Uh, do, do did either pitcher entice you to go pick him up? Uh, not yet, but I'm definitely keeping an eye on him. Although Garrett already got plucked off of my home league, um, I believe Freeland did as well. So I won't be getting them in my keeper format. But I, I'm trying to be a little calmer this year. Um, I tend to go through fob a little too fast, so I'm really trying to trust what I did in the uh, in the auction and kind of slow roast and, and and let these let these things come to me. The only one I'm kicking myself is I got outbid on Archie Bradley. I was really trying to to add him to the bench as a uh, as a second half flyer, but he 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 went from me. But both of those guys had a very interesting starts, especially Freeland being at home in Colorado, and you're starting to see. You know, for years we've picked on Colorado and what they're doing and the decisions they make in free agency and whatnot, but they've started to build a young staff of guys with, uh, with good fastballs that can generate ground balls, which is the key to survival in cores. Um, and Freeland fits that mode when you're talking about 12 ground balls of 18 balls in play. That's exactly what they're trying to do with this staff as they as they build towards the future and shore up that back end with the bullpen. So... Uh, Definitely interesting. So they're both on the watch for uh, for leagues. I don't think they're mixed league worthy yet. And of course, we're going to hear the Amir Garrett. You know, he played basketball, and there's a lot of bullets in his arm, just kind of like they shove it down your throat with uh, with uh, Antonio Gates formerly being a basketball player and then transitioning mm-hmm. to tight end in the NFL. So the, the storyline is going to be wonderful. Um, and, and again, the Reds are also doing the same sort of thing, amassing a lot of talented young arms uh, in that staff. So Cincinnati might morph into a team that teams are uh, not looking forward to as the, as the year progresses. Yeah, because you know the the lineup is not bad, and uh, you know, the pitching right now it looks like it's you know an easy matchup for opposing lineups. But you're right, you know with the uh, Garrett, uh, you know uh, a promising start there, and uh, you know if Cody Reed uh, can get it together and find his way in, into the rotation. Rookie Davis, of course, did and not again. look good at all. Uh, the uh, you know, the first time around. And I'm sorry, Greg, uh, I didn't catch. Uh, I, I said I said Finnegan had a very encouraging first start. So, yes. you know, I mean, you can't be excited about Bronson and Royal and stuff, but uh, or, or Feldman, who's going today. But the younger arms, I think, are very intriguing to watch. So, you know, that, yeah. that NL Central, that, that's tough. That's a tough division. There's, there's not going to be a lot of easy games in there. No, not at all. And you know, we've talked about the Brewers. I mean, they're an exciting team, um, you know, with the – you know, a couple of pitchers in the pipeline as well that, uh, you know, we might see this year. That could be, could be exciting, but let's, let's get to some Kendall Graveman talk. Uh, so he had a no hitter for six and two thirds innings against the Rangers. That was broken up by the Mike Napoli solo home run, but that was the only run that Graveman allowed over seven innings, uh, two hits uh, again, both uh, in the latter part of the seventh inning, five strikeouts and a walk. And, uh, again, that's now back-to-back really impressive starts for Graveman. We talked before the break about how he's p- pitching almost exclusively with sinkers, more than 90%. But, um, you know, so I did a little digging this morning to see what's going on here, if this is a, a legitimate change or if this is just, you know, a, an early season uh, 
fake out that you know we see from some pitchers every single year and I mean there's a radical change with Graveman and it's not just uh, all the sinkers that he's throwing uh, in the past he's you know had some troubles with uh, left-handers but um, really been you know shutting the shutting left-handers down so far this season and he he uh, last year he pitched them away 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 I mean he he never went inside and this year, he's going inside a lot against left-handers mm-hmm. uh, in those two starts. And then how that bears out in the statistics, he's thrown 67% of his pitches for strikes, and yet he's working in the strike zone much, much less often than he did last year. So he's getting a lot of swings on the pitches outside of the zone, and they're, and they're typically coming inside on lefties. And he's also mm-hmm. uh, dramatically increased the spin rate on the sinker, which would explain the the increase in swings and misses that he's getting. So there's a lot going on here with Kendall Graveman, but there's a, a lot of changes, a lot of drastic ones in terms of approach, in terms of uh, the action on the ball. And the one part of this puzzle that makes no sense to me, Greg, is that when you increase your, your spin rate like that, tip one of the byproducts is an increased uh, whiff rate, which we're seeing from Graveman, but also fewer ground balls. And his sinker grounder rate, according to Fangraphs, last year was 52.7%. This year it's 56.7%. So it's actually gone up a little. Uh, I don't get it. Do you, do you trust any of this? What? How do you make sense of all these changes for Graveman? Um, it's sort of mind-boggling, but I remember when he, again, when I keep referencing that trade, um, when he got traded from the Blue Jays, they were, they were saying he was working on a screwball or there was a pitch he couldn't throw straight and maybe that's morphed itself into or manifested itself into the, the sinker that he's now throwing. I don't know if it's a change in grip or what he's doing, but um, he got six swinging strikes with the sinker and 15 called strikes with it. So I think the movement is baffling the hitters as much as it's baffling you and I. Um, <laughs> I really need to I, – I really need to – uh, I have the Apple TV. I think I need to go back and just like watch that game because I want to see what what was what was messing up with the hitter. So that might be something I do later, whether it's uh, in between a workout later and and watching Thor take the mound tonight. But I, I'm very intrigued by seeing just how that batters are reacting to it. And to do that in Texas, I mean that's not an easy ballpark to pitch in. So I mean I know Beltre's not playing, but that's still not a bad lineup. So yeah. it really it reinforces what he did in the first start. So I think you ride him while he's hot, and then you kind of keep an eye out to see if the bottom falls out. But there's always like a player or two that comes out of nowhere with a career year. So there's, you know, it's hard to believe that Greenman is tied for the lead in the in the majors with wins with two, and and it's with Mike Dunn and J.C. Ramirez from the Angels, two relief pitchers. It's been a really strange start to the year for starting pitchers. Yeah, and it's and it's been sort of odd for relievers too. You know, I mean, we've got a lot of bullpen intrigue, and we're going to talk about that later. We've got it seems a lot of relievers going longer uh, in their stints. You know, two innings or more. We had the Chris Davinsky four no hit inning uh, appearance earlier this week. So yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of odd stuff. It'd be interesting to see how much of this uh, you know persists as the season goes on, or you know if these are just some early season oddities. But if Graveman's available, I, I do think it's time. I'm I'm typically loath to overreact to uh, performances in the first week or two. But when it's backed up by such radical changes, I think, you know, it's worth trying to find the spot to stash him, see how mm-hmm. he does this week. And then, you know, if he if the, if the changes stick, 
you know, that then you've got them and you can start them. And if not, then, you know, hopefully not much lost. Hopefully you don't have to drop anybody of, of note to, uh, mm-hmm. to get Graven. And hopefully he's even available in your league because he's, he's clearly, uh, you know, a hot pickup right now. Uh, on a more down note, Clayton Kershaw against the Rockies, not, uh, not uh, you know, awful start, but not what we're used to seeing from Kershaw. Six innings, eight hits allowed, three of those home runs. Uh, four runs allowed total, no walks. But, uh, you know, this got me looking at how Kershaw does at Coors Field, and I just assumed that this was an outlier, and, you know, Clayton Kershaw's awesome everywhere he pitches. He's Clayton Kershaw. But he now has a 471 ERA over his career at Coors Field, and he's now allowed 16 home runs over 109 innings. That's a pretty decent sample there and not great results. I mean, is it absolutely crazy to think about benching Kershaw when he goes to course? Uh, it really depends on the league format. It, it, we, we could be over analysis or paralysis by over analysis here, <laughs> but you know, you, you look at the things today, Clayton Kershaw leads the majors in home runs allowed right now. So let let that, let that marinate for a minute <laughs> with, with all of the stat heads. It's just, you know, uh, when he was missing, he was missing right in the middle. So a couple of those were, were cookies right down right down the zone. So, you know, obviously he, he might prefer the feel. And, you know, you, you lose some of that when you're up in Coors Field. Um, and if he's not totally reliant on his fastball, which Clayton Kershaw isn't. So it, 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 it's definitely something to watch. If he has another rough one, then, then you, might have to, you might have to bench him. In a, I'm more comfortable benching him in a weekly, in a, excuse me, in a daily format. If you're setting a weekly lineup, it's kind of hard, but you're just hoping that he has a two-star week and you get the other, the other good one. But you know, just like with Ryan Braun, these back things are tricky. I don't want to say anything, and I'm not sounding off an alarm, but you definitely have to watch uh, just just how Kershaw reacts. Where I think he's he's the best pitcher of this generation, but the back injuries are slippery. Yeah, that's you're right. So there's a couple issues rolled up into this, and one is you know questioning if he's if there's something wrong there. But then there again, there's looking at the longer history of him just not doing well at Coors Field, and uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, maybe it sounds an alarm to you know kind of uh, watch him a little more carefully and not be on automatic pilot, which is what you know the the luxury that Kershaw usually affords us. Uh, we don't have ever have to think about him. Uh, Zach Granke, hopefully getting back to that status as well. Uh, six and two thirds innings with uh, five hits, uh, six strikeouts, no walks, and just one run allowed uh, for Kershaw, or I'm sorry, for Granke, is he back? Or was, was, he, was, ever, was he ever really gone? Uh, I, I think there was a lot of things working against him last year, I'm trying to probably pitch too hard to justify the contract. Um, Wellington Castillo's not really known as a very good pitch framer. Um, so... You know, between the health and, and, and throwing the Castillo and maybe losing strikes. And if you don't believe in, in a catcher's framing, if you watch what happened to Francisco Liriano without Russell Martin behind the plate, uh, it becomes pretty stark. Because if you lose those strikes on the outside edge that you get with one catcher and you don't get on another, it, it can really frustrate a pitcher. So uh, they're, they're a delicate balance to, to have them at full capacity on the mound. But I think Ionetta and Mathis really focused on defense for the Diamondbacks behind the plate. Um, could help Greenkey. His his velocities were kind of all over the place. I love going to baseball savant and checking the, the in game, in game, uh, the in game action. And they they showed uh, like his last fastball was one of his fastest, but you know four or five pitches before that it was one of the slowest ones. So 
you know, his velocity was still wavering and he's still finding his way. But I, I think Greenkey, uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that he's turning the corner. Um, I don't think he's going to get back to where he was with the Dodgers just because of the ballpark effects. But if he gets back towards the levels of whip that he had in Milwaukee uh, while with Arizona due to similar ballpark factors, then I think he's going to be a productive fantasy pitcher this year. Yeah, and that's an excellent point, too, about the catchers that they work with. That For somebody who really you know, works the edges, that's, that's really important for Granke, as it is for Liriano as well. Well, we got some other standout pitching performances to cover, and you know, there's hitters, too. So uh, we'll talk about them right when we come back from break. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and join me today for this action-packed Sunday show, Greg Jewett, also from FanRag. And uh, let's uh, head over to the lineups for a, a quick update there. The Mariners lineup has come in, and uh, Taylor Motter in left field today, Mitch Hanniger uh, uh, in right. Uh, of course, you know, Hanniger is going to become pretty much a staple there in the Mariners lineup. But if you're uh, looking for uh, Gerard Dyson to provide you some steals today, uh, unless he comes in as a pinch runner, I would look elsewhere. But also don't freak out because Dyson's been struggling and he's out of the lineup. Uh, Scott Service had uh, mentioned uh, within the last day or two that he was looking for an opportunity to get Motter into the starting lineup, you know, try to keep the bench fresh. So, uh you know, no big impact there as far as Gerard Dyson is concerned. So, Greg, let's uh, go back to some of the pitching performances from yesterday. A couple of pitchers who uh, I think needed to reassure their owners after uh, a difficult spring. Aaron Nola, pretty good outing against the Nationals. Uh, six innings, seven hits, three runs, seven strikeouts, two walks. And then Jordan Zimmerman, who really was pretty dreadful in the spring, six innings, uh, four hits, three strikeouts, one walk, and one run allowed. And a pretty mind-blowing strike-to-ball ratio for uh, Zimmerman. 66 strikes thrown out of 92 total pitches. So how uh, how much stock do you put in these debuts from Nolan Zimmerman? Um, Zimmerman, that's his first win since June of last year. And, and when he had that win in June last year, he was 9-3 and three and then really just like fell off of a cliff. So um, I'm interested to see how he does going forward. And we do know the the Boston lineup was a vastly reduced due to the flu that's running through that team. Um, they were saying Ben Attendi was uh, throwing up in the sixth inning yesterday. I mean, I don't know what I don't know what the hygiene rules are with Boston, but their team's a mess due to this flu that's going through there. Um, but but it's encouraging. Now, it was at home. That ballpark helps Zimmerman, uh, keeps the fly ball sort of depressed. So um, early in the season, he could get off to a nice start. Uh, definitely going to monitor how he's how he does against a couple of other teams. Um, Nola was uh, was good, obviously. Uh, five swinging strikes with the curveball, which is a key for him. I, I'd still like to see him get that whip a little down. Uh, he did get the win, but that's also uh, – and I know he was kind of pitching to the scoreboard too – so the, the 1.5 whip, we, we want to see that number come down. I'd rather get to the one three or below range. But uh, Nola definitely reassured his owners, and it's encouraging. The seven strikeouts, I think, is what people will key on, and that's a positive. So just to press that uh, bat up a little bit and uh, see the improvement in them. Yeah, I mean, for me, actually, the key was the seven hits and the three runs, which are you know just okay numbers over six innings. 
but better than what we saw a lot of uh, in the spring and uh, in the middle of mm-hmm. last season. The strikeouts have always been there for Nola. It's just what's happened when contact's made. So actually, yeah, I, I'm very encouraged for Nola. And Dallas Keuchel, another great start. Uh, seven innings, uh, just one run allowed, two hits. Uh, he's now got a 74% ground ball rate on the season over those two starts. Uh, I think that will work. So you, does mm-hmm. the uh, narrative of uh, the shoulder problem uh, being an issue for Keiko last year, is that ringing more true or uh, still wait and see on Keiko? Uh, so far. Yeah. So far, so good with him. The key is we see those ground balls and um, the velocity seem to be closer to two, 2015 than last year. So uh, definitely optimistic about Keiko as well. He, he could prove to be quite a bargain. Now, he always he struggled even on the road in 2015. So we'll see what happens once he leaves Minute Maid Park soon here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good thing to, to keep a lookout for. Uh, well, right, let's move ahead to hitters. Um, Manny Margot, a uh, very exciting couple of days for him. He had a two-home run game, which I'm sure came as a surprise for a lot of us because you think Manny Margot, you think steals and, and probably a nice batting average because of the speed. But two home runs on Friday – and then on uh, Saturday against the Giants, two doubles, two for four game with, with two doubles, and now Margot batting three oh four. So he's he's been showing us more power than speed so far uh, this season. Uh, I think that the steals will come, but uh, what do you think about Manny Margot, power hitter? <laughs> well, it's funny because he was my uh, rookie outfielder spotlight in our uh, preseason right. fantasy guide. So. Um, I was kind of in the same light. I was like, you know what? You were going to add Margo for the stolen bases, the the powers under development. And of course, Margo is making a liar of me. Uh, what was encouraging is uh, the high contact profile that he brought with him from the minors. And um, seeing this start, I think is very encouraging. I don't think we're going to keep seeing the power, but it's nice to see that uh, on a pitch, he's willing to, uh, to willing to turn on it. And, you know, the, all of the metrics and everything keep telling people that they need to put the ball in the air more to be successful with the shifts and the things of that nature. And you really can't shift on a guy like Margo because of the speed, but yeah, definitely something to uh, keep track of. I still think he'll be more valuable at the end of the year in the player Raider than uh, Hunter Renfro, who received a little bit more hype in the preseason than uh, Margot did. Yeah, I think quite a lot more. And I know I had them ranked very similarly. In fact, maybe even back to back. And I don't remember who I had in front, uh, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that either. And well, I'll tell you what I, what I am surprised by is the degree to which that Margot in his minor league career has been a, a fly ball hitter. Uh, because in the brief time mm-hmm. that he spent up with the Padres last year, he uh, had a 63% ground ball rate. And you just figure, you know, a guy of his profile, that's speedy, good contact hitter. You know, you just kind of have, I, I, I shouldn't say you, I have a, a preconceived notion of what that overall skill set is but um mm-hmm. yeah no he's uh not afraid to put the ball in the air and and uh you know so maybe we shouldn't be surprised if uh you know he uh breaks double digits in, in home runs which might not seem like a big deal but it, it definitely you know adds a little something to to margo's value Aledmus mm-hmm. diaz Absolutely. last year we saw power from him and we saw it again against the reds uh, three for five with two home runs but both of those home runs came off of brownson arroyo and uh, just a, a note here, you know, that uh, baseball reference, they have all kinds of wonderful splits and they break down a hitter's performance against 
pitchers that they categorize as finesse pitchers based on the strikeout and walk rates. And then they've got the kind of, you know, mid-range pitchers. And then you've got your power pitchers. Well, Ledmus Diaz last season and now against Arroyo absolutely feasts on finesse pitchers. And his career now, he's got a 327, 381, 639 slash line against uh, pitchers in the, in the finesse category where uh, Arroyo clearly belongs. So uh, is this information that you think could be useful in terms of start sit with uh, Diaz or is he just must start? Uh, he's probably more of a must start just hitting second in the Cardinals lineup. But if you see a week where he's got those uh, the, the finesse pitchers that you're hinting at uh, coming up on the schedule, then it makes him even uh, more important to make sure you target him uh, and make sure he's locked into that lineup. But, uh, you know, I know you were very big on him coming into the coming into the season. Um, there, you know, there was a little caution on how he played uh, after, later on after his huge, huge start. But he seems to be adjusting very well, and you've you've got to like guys that have the OBP. So no matter what, the slumps don't seem to be as prolonged, and I think that definitely helps Diaz in uh, in this in this ranking here. So I'm definitely. Uh, I'm, I missed out on him this year, but I'm going to take heed of all of this and, and look at him moving forward. Yeah, I still think he's a batting average regression candidate, and I think that those you know power pitcher, <laughs> finesse pitcher splits are, I mean, they're so dramatic. He really ha- did not do a lot of damage last year against power pitchers. So uh, mm-hmm. I, I would c- consider sitting Diaz, and, and actually I think in a league or two I actually sat him this week because he uh, – you know, other than Arroyo, the, the schedule did not look really favorable for him. But, uh, you know, that, that didn't work out for me in the leagues where I sat him. Uh, Gregory Polanco, <laughs> four for four. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I did, did start him in Tout Wars. There wasn't really a good, uh, a good alternative there. So not a total loss for me this week. Uh, Gregory Polanco had a four for four game with a double and a stolen base against the Braves. I was not a big Polanco backer going into this year. Um, you know, I thought the power surge last year was nice, but I wasn't sure that he wouldn't regress a bit. But uh, what do you think? Is there actually upside still for Polanco? Uh, or, or is, you know, 2016 as good as it's probably going to get? No, I think there's upside in Polanco. I, I loved his swing when I saw him play in person here in Syracuse right before his call-up a couple of years back. Um I, I still think there's burgeoning power. He was playing through some injury issues last year, but he stayed on the field, which is encouraging. And, and I really like that Hurdle didn't panic because he hit him fourth. And after the first couple of games when Polanco was struggling, people were already saying, why is Polanco hitting fourth? And Hurdle kind of stood his ground and said, just just give him a minute. And then right after that, Polanco re- repaid it. And he's got very good BVP splits heading into his matchup today. So he might follow up that four for four with another nice afternoon. So I'm in on Polanco. I was in on him in the preseason. Um, I wasn't. I got like the same draft spot in almost every single league, which stunk. So he was always taking like a spot or two right before uh, the range where I was hoping to get him. Um, and and the one draft it didn't make sense to reach up at that spot because I needed power instead of speed. But uh, I, I like Polanco. I'm a Polanco backer. So. Um, I don't see a regression in the power. As a matter of fact, I think you can. Uh, I think you can increase his total from last year. Well, are you buying into JT Real Muto, who has? Um, I and I should uh, look this up to confirm, but I'm I'm 99% sure I'm right that he's had multiple hits in every game and at least one extra base hit in every game against the Mets on Saturday, three for five with a triple. 
I did not see this power coming for JT Real Muto. Is this just a streak or is this a breakout, you think? I think it's somewhere in the middle. Um, he, he's, he's second right now in a uh, number of batted balls with 95 mile per hour or higher. He's got 10 this year already. Um, and he's one spot behind. I can't believe Junel Escobar is tied for the lead in that category. So, so you want to wrap your head around something, think about that. Junel Escobar leads the majors right now in, uh, in basically uh, decent barrel balls coming off at 95 plus MPH. So, um, and the nice thing about Rumuto this year is too, is I think people kind of overlooked the fact that he might get some first base starts when uh, Bauer sits. So when there's a when there's a good lefty on the mound, not only will he get out from behind the plate, but he's going to get some extra at bats. So Rumuto, obviously he can't keep up this rate, but I think people that were a little hesitant to invest in him because he was a tenant, you know, double digit power and stolen base guy last year. I don't think he's going to go crazy, but I I could see him reaching 15 home runs if that's if that's the range we're talking about. Yeah, no steals yet for Real Muto, but uh, you know if he gets a steal every uh, you know second or third week, that's it for catcher. That's pretty nice. And uh, yeah, right now mm-hmm. batting a crazy 556 uh, with a 1056 slugging, and yeah, he does have multiple hits in all four games he's played, and and an extra base hit in every game. So. Um, that, that uh, Stackhouse data is really interesting, and yeah, the uh, uh, Escobar, you know, Escobar uh, stat. That's mind blowing too. He had a nice game on Saturday, but uh, I'll, I, yeah, I'll take it a little more seriously with with Real Muto. So, uh, all right, well, uh, <laughs> we've got to head into our final break here, Greg. So uh, when we come back, we'll take a look ahead to Week Two and uh, talk a little bit about the saves piece you wrote. So stick around for that. Welcome, buddy. Listening to Fantasy Sports, I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today and for this final segment is Greg Jewett from FanRag Sports, and uh, of the many things that uh, Greg has been working on this week, he's uh, done a piece on closers, and we're going to break that down a little bit, but uh, it being Sunday, Greg, need to devote a little bit of time to looking to the, the week ahead. Who are some of the uh, waiver options that you're looking to pick up for the coming week, including uh, any uh, potential two-start pitchers? Um, like I said, I, I didn't get a whole lot of time to uh, to, to go through the waivers, but um, I don't know. I, I, I haven't had a chance to read Jim's fantastic article on the site, but um, I'll let you give a couple of targets in a minute. And then we did get, if, if I can interject for one second, uh, we had a Twitter question. I don't know if you checked, but at Hokey Harlan asked, since we were talking so much about Graveman, mm. would you be willing to drop Samarja for Graven? Uh, boy, oh boy. 10 team mixed. Absolutely. 12 team mixed. You know what? I think so. I think so, because I I don't feel good about starting Samarja away from AT&T Park. I think he's perfectly good there, but I view him as a streamer. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand why Samarja is still so highly owned. So um, that might mean that okay. it would be hard to get him back, but I think I'd take that risk in the 12-team uh, mixed. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you. No, I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, but I also had a different Twitter question. Somebody asked if uh, – and you can speak to this because I know you do a lot of the start this stuff. Are you willing to start Michael Walker this week in Yankee Stadium? 
I think uh, I think I got that question from someone else too, and uh, he's borderline. He's generally borderline. It's not that I worry about the matchup or, or the venue so much for him, but um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to sort of weasel on this one and say it depends. Uh, I'd, I'd lean towards starting Waka, but um, you know, uh, again, it would sort of depend on if I needed to uh, to you know bulk up on two star pitchers if I was you know short on them. But if I was set with, you know, a couple good two-star pitchers, I, I would go ahead and start Waka. Yeah, I'm leaning towards starting this week. And then the last one for uh, a friend of mine who, uh, one of my more ardent followers, I know you, I know your answer, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Today is the stream <laughs> option. Would you take Would you take Clayton Richard or Hisashi Iwakuma? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, you were going to ask me about my targets, and Clayton Richard is one of them. I've actually written about him twice in the last three days so uh, because I like his uh, – I like streaming him for today, which I think that's what the question was, right, for, for today? Yeah, um, just for today. As a so for today, start, absolutely, uh, I, I like Richard. And, uh, you know, that matchup against the Giants uh, I think really suits him well. And, uh, and next week uh, I like him too. And un- unfortunately uh, – I I'm just gonna have to admit this. My browser froze up, and I can't look and remind myself who Richard is slated to face uh, this coming week. But uh, I remember that I do like the matchup. So uh, if you go to this, my most recent sit, sit start column on FanRag, you'll get more information on on Richard there. Beautiful. It, yeah, and uh, you know we talked earlier about Manny Margot. That's somebody I'm definitely looking looking to pick up this week in uh, just. Not only because he's the hot hand, but uh, you know some good matchups for for the Padres in general this week. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of you know two star pitchers available on waivers, it's you kind of hitting the that uh, not so sweet spot this week where there's not a lot uh, you know available uh, you know that I would like to have, but um, you know so it might just be a week where you, you mostly go with go with what we got. Um, all right, Greg, let's. Uh, Talk about that saves piece that you wrote on the saves market. Uh, now, first of all, is this going to be a, a weekly mm-hmm. piece for you? Yeah, it looks like it. I think next, I think this week coming up is shifting to Tuesday, just so we have uh, different content every day because our weekend's kind of heavy on pitching. So that's okay if there's no uh, imminent things. I'll uh, I'll work on a piece of guys like uh, Davinsky and Archie Bradley and whatnot that could actually be uh, sneaky plays as a starting pitcher in uh, head-to-head leagues where you can uh, rotate them in if you don't have a starter you like or you want to bench somebody, you can flip them in there and get some strikeout and ratio protection. So I'll have something for the uh, for the release slash closer column no matter what. So and, and there's always something that happens, and we'll have the return of Asuna coming and things of that nature, so definitely. But, um, yeah, we, we touched upon uh, five of the five of the most pressing issues and, uh, you know, what to do with Cam Bedrosian and – how to uh, deploy Rysiel Iglesias and things of that nature. Uh, well, sounds sounds good. Um, so, yeah, what do you see as the uh, the future for the uh, the Angels rotate or the Angels uh, bullpen rather? Well, I know I've been higher in Cam Bedrosian than you have, um, and, and it's mostly due to the fact that there's nothing else there that I really see as a threat to him closing games. And I know people were up in arms when Bedrosian was warming up in the eighth inning the other night. Um, but that was because Hanniger, Cano, and uh, Nelson Cruz were going to bat in the uh, top of that inning. And um, I think the Angels, Socia was looking to guarantee keeping the lead. But then there was a two-run home run, so then Bedrosian sat down and Andrew Bailey came in. 
So Bedrosian is almost being deployed like Andrew Miller is by the Indians, but he's the closer by default. And he, he recorded four outs last night, all by strikeouts to preserve the win for the Angels. So, you know, he may lose a save here or there just because he might be needing in the, needed in the eighth inning more to protect the lead because um, Socha looks like he's going to be a little more progressive with that. But, but I still see Bedrosian as leading his team in saves, even when Street eventually comes back. I, street stuff last year just seems so diminished to me. Yeah. Uh, now, how about the Reds' closer situation? I thought that th- that's a pretty interesting one because uh, mm-hmm. you know, Brian Price pretty much telegraphed us, you know, told told the media what he was planning to do in terms of taking, you know, his two converted starters, Rysel Glacius and Michael Lorenzen, and letting them pitch multiple innings and, and kind of swapping them out and letting one rest. And, and then, you know, we've got Drew Storen who got a save this week, and he's in that mix. Do you, th- is there, uh, is, I mean, Iglesias, I would think, would be closer 1A there. Is there mm-hmm. enough, you, th- you think, enough there for him to, uh, you know, to, to be starting him every week, or is it a situation to avoid? Uh, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, no, I still think Iglesias is going to get the lion's shares of the saves, and it's interesting because Lorenzen's been used in tandem with him each time this year. So it's been Lorenzen to Iglesias, and then um, he's not willing to pitch Iglesias back-to-back, so that's how Storen swooped in and got a save the other day. You know, we don't know how many saves and stuff the Reds are going to get as the year progresses, but um, if you see Iglesias pitched on Tuesday and you've got Storen, you can play him on Wednesday and hope to get that that cheap save off of the wire, you know, every save matters. So I think that's how it's going to play out. So I see it 1A, Iglesias, 1B, Storen, uh, and 1C just because Lorenzen's been pigeonholed in the seventh or eighth inning. He hasn't seen anything in the ninth yet. Yeah, well, there was, uh, I think this is on Friday night when uh, Price brought in Lorenzen in the seventh and uh, and the pitcher spot was first up. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was actually surprised to see Lorenzo didn't hit for himself, you know, and then he brought in, uh, Iglesias for the, the two inning save, but, uh, I actually thought it was going to be the <laughs> way around. So, uh, well, we're just about out of time here, Greg. So, uh, thank you so much. Uh, glad that you could join us today. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with Jim Finch. So, uh, good luck with your week two lineups. Look for, uh our uh, week two content on fan rag sports and uh, have a great rest of the weekend, everybody. 